Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. On March 22, 2020, Stephen Sondheim celebrated his 90th birthday. Back in 2010, and again a year later, he published his two-volume collection of lyrics with annotations. The first was titled, Finishing the Hat, and the second, Look, I Made a Hat. I interviewed him once for each book. This is the second interview recorded in his New York brownstone in November 2011 with his two black poodles watching. My guest is Stephen Sondheim, whose latest book is the second volume of a two-volume set of collected lyrics and other materials. This is called Look, I Made a Hat. Stephen Sondheim is the composer and lyricist of such shows as Company, Follies, Sweeney Todd, Roadshow, Passion, Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Pacific Overtures, Merrily We Roll Along, Lyricist for West Side Story and Gypsy. The first volume was titled Finishing the Hat. The title comes from Sunday in the Park with George and specifically refers to a song about creativity and the nature of creativity. When you're working on these books, you get revelations, things that you didn't realize. Do you recall any revelations you got from working on these books, things that came out of the blue? No, it was really just a matter of looking at what I'd written and deciding that certain things were better than I'd remembered and certain things were not as good as I'd remembered, that's all. But surely no no revelation that I can think of. As you were working on it, you contacted other people like Nathan Lane? Get only, about, only about uh, uh, specifics about certain of the shows, yes. Had you taken any kind of notes during... Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I took notes, but, but mostly on the work. But the events, the incidents, is what I checked up on with people. How did that match up? Did it always match up with your memory? No, not at all. No, that's why I checked with them. I knew my memory was faulty, as everybody's is. And I'm not even sure that their memories are correct, but at least it gave me a balance, and quite often I put both kinds of memories into the narrative. In essence, it's a narrative of your work, uh, almost a biography of your professional life, leaving out a lot of personal stuff, except at the beginning when you talk a lot about Oscar in the first book and about your mother. Without going into your personal life, is there a relationship between your personal life and your work that kind of bled over, you think? Very rarely. Certainly, a song like Finishing the Hat is an expression of creativity, but not an awful lot. No, most of, the, most of the shows are, you know, just my getting into the characters themselves. You, can, you always relate to a story that you're writing, but certainly no, nothing specific. Okay, I'd like to ask you a couple of things that came up, questions that I had that weren't answered in the first book. The London production of Follies, you were asked by Cameron McIntosh to put in those songs, the Loveland song, you didn't even remember why you changed it. Do you remember now? No, no, I don't. I must have been maybe discussing it with Bob Avian, the choreographer or even Mike Ockrent, the director. I, no, I, have, I really have no memory. It, it may have to do with the fact that the first one sprang from the costumes, or it didn't. Rather, the costumes have to be designed for the lyric. Perhaps that was the sticking point. Perhaps the costumes couldn't be designed for the lyric, so I determined to merely spell out 
the word Loveland in eight letters and so the girls could come on in anything that the costume designer wished and just hold up an L or an O or a V or an E. That's the only, only thing I could think of. There's one change that struck me in listening to the cast album. In the song, Could I Leave You, uh, if I recall correctly, the line, I've been with a boy in Spain, but I've done that already. In the London version, it says, but I might have already. And at the oh, time, I've yeah. I've forgotten that. Yeah, and it struck me as being a major change in the character of Phyllis. It must have been uh, James's request. I, I really don't remember. Un until this moment, I totally forgot that. When you're adapting, how free do you feel to keep stuff or get rid of it? From a play? Yeah. You have to feel free to include or omit certain things, of course. So you have less time because there are songs or numerous reasons. Oh, no. You always feel very flexible once the author has agreed to let you have the rights to the piece to make it into a musical. Stephen Sondheim, you talk in Look I Made a Hat about how much you love writing pastiche, which is an imitation of other people. I'm just curious, as I was looking through this book and then going back to the first one, maybe I'm just not you know, adept enough, but the difference in say, oh, this is a Dorothy Fields lyric I'm imitating, or this is a heart. What specifically are you looking for when you're creating that kind of pastiche? Well, you can't really, t uh, the style is something that you sense or smell. I covered that in the book. I said, you know, about her kind of wry. She has a wry and I think very feminine point of view, and he has a disillusioned kind of urban view. It's, it's hard to, to describe styles exactly, but the styles are very distinct to me. I think, you know, if I heard a song that I'd never heard of any one of those writers, that was from their mature period, not, of course, when they begin, but kind of developed their style, which, you know, happens to some people in their 20s and some people in their 30s and some people never. I think I could identify them. One thing you do overlook in the book is the importance of orchestrators. You mentioned that one of your favorite sequences, I think, is, I don't know what it's called, maybe the vamp underneath our time mm -hmm. in Merrily, and something like that. Is that something that you created or Tunic created? No, no, I create. I, don't, I do all the vamps. I do all the counterpoint and all the vamps, writing a song. So when we're hearing trumpets... Well, the notes are, not the choice of trumpets. Does it matter necessarily who you're working with? Yeah, I mean, you seem to have worked well, best with Tunics. And Michael Starobin, yeah. the two of them. Well, because they're both extremely sensitive to the dramatic, to the theatrical value of songs. There are many, many expert orchestrators, but those two orchestrators, I think, are the best at, at understanding what's going on on the stage and being able to relate it. In Sunday in the Park with George, which was the first one you discussed, it struck me when I saw the show, the style itself, the form of the song seemed almost pointillist. Was that deliberate or was that just your changing style? Well, I don't think the form, I don't see how the form is pointillist. Certainly the kind of harmonic language has to do with the accumulation of small detail as opposed to chunky chords a lot. And often the accompaniments are the same thing, that the accompaniments are, are, are accumulations of various contrapuntal lines rather than of, of sort of what you call vertical structure. It's a horizontal structure of the music rather than the vertical. I don't even know what a pointillist form is. Pointillism really is a form of, is a technique, it's not a form. Well, I was thinking of dot, 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 Yeah, dot. well, but that's, you're thinking of that because it accompanies him putting daubs of paint on the, on the canvas. I try to picture what, what it would have been like for him to be painting. and what, But, of course, that's not the way he would paint at all. He would paint each daub much slower than that. But for the theatricality of it and to convey to the audience that these are small daubs of paint as opposed to strokes of paint, 
And the way to do that is to speed up the process. A large section of the book is devoted to the morphing of wise guys into briefly gold, into bounce, into roadshow. That took 10 years. Was there any time during that period where you just were ready to throw up your hands? No, well, we didn't do it 10 years steadily. Okay. Did okay. other things in between. Yeah. You know, no, it, wasn't, it wasn't steady work. But were you ready to throw in the towel or no? No, otherwise we would have. During that period, as you were going through that, there's mention at the beginning of the chapter, there are quotes about a lawsuit. Did that have any effect on the creative or did it just... No, 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 not at all, not at all. That was an eruption, but maybe even an interruption, but not very significant. After you created that very, very first Wise Guys, obviously hindsight tells you, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. I didn't focus in this area, I should have focused that. What exactly turns you on to the fact that you didn't focus there? In one case you said, I made a mistake I should never have made. It would have to be a specific example, because there, there are infinite numbers of kinds of mistakes you can make, either small or large or medium, so there's no general rule for it. Okay, specifically that Addison's Travels is way too long. Well, you tell that when you, when you run the whole show uh, either in a run-through or in front of an audience, then the proportions become apparent. Proportions that might not be obvious if you're just uh, doing the song isolatedly in a living room or even on a stage. It's only when it's part of the texture of the piece that you realize that it is too long for the overall texture of the piece, that's all. Uh, but you can't tell that until you put it all together. And there's an audience there listening? Not necessarily. Really? Sometimes no. you see, no, no, some, I say, Sometimes you've seen a run-through. You just run through it and they say, no. I suppose, yes, there's always an audience in the sense that the audience is you right. and your collaborators, but you don't need a, a, a paying audience or an invited audience to tell you that. I should say, sometimes you do. Sometimes you see something and you're satisfied with it at the run-through and then you put it in front of, of a crowd and suddenly it morphs, it changes. Uh, and things that seemed funny aren't or things that didn't seem funny are things that seem too long or too short, and some things that seem to the right lengths are too long. You never can tell. How satisfied are you at this point? You're happy with Roadshow? We are more than happy. We are thrilled. And you're happy with Assassins, the way it is? Thrilled. And those are the two shows you think are the most complete? Assassins is the one I think is the most complete. Through the first book, in my head, I'm hearing the music while I'm reading the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Second book, I'm doing the same thing until I come to Wise Guys those two versions? The reading and the workshop. The reading and the workshop. Yeah, well, most, okay. most of the workshop stuff, uh, much of the workshop stuff got into Bounce, so that was recorded. And some of it got into Roadshow, so some of that's recorded. But no, a lot of it wasn't. But, you know, early versions of shows, are, there were a lot of things in the first book that you didn't know the tunes of because they were songs that were cut. Right. There were many songs cut from Forum that you never heard. There were many songs cut from Follies that you never heard. So this is no different. You rarely, rarely reuse your material. Very rarely. Why? Because it was written for a specific set of characters in a specific situation, in a specific milieu. Each time, you know, every show is, is, has its own color characteristic and a story and all that. So it, it, it's individual. So, you know, suit of clothes that fits that person will not fit that person, you know? You don't talk at all about cast albums. Partly it's because this is about lyrics, not right. about cast albums. Right. From your perspective, putting aside the problems with the first cast album of Follies, mm -hmm. how do you feel about the originals versus, say, the revivals? 
Well, some of them are good, and some of them are better, and some of them are not as good. Are you, are you, again, are you they vary. Are be specific or not? No, well, the, the new, the new uh, Follies album, I think, is the best, one of the best show albums I ever heard, if not the best. I think it's spectacular. Many of the cast albums have their own individual advantages and disadvantages, the way the revivals do. You know, some, some revivals have superior casting to earlier, and some have less good mm-hmm. casting. You know, varies. The original cast recording of Follies, the part that bothered me most was the fact that these were those original performances and we were, we were yep. stuck with truncated versions. Yep, yep, bothered all of us. As with Night Music Revival, you're still going to the theater and taking notes? Oh, sure, absolutely. I had heard two stories. One is that it has to end in January because the theater is vacant and they're looking for another theater, and the other was that the performers can't continue. No, the performers, I think, can continue. In fact, they are going to because it's going to go to the West Coast. The only person who can't is Bernadette because she has a set of concerts that would prevent that from happening and would have prevented from happening I think she would have liked to have stayed with it if we'd continued in New York, but uh, there would still have been those weekends or whatever when she would have had to, to leave and, and have her understudy go on. As you're listening to some, of, to some of the shows, is a piece of you now still going on some of those earlier shows? Is a piece of you going, God, I wish we'd done this or that? Oh, sure. Of course. That's, that's why I say Assassins is the closest to what I would call perfection, meaning what we intended. Right. than anything else. No, there, there are always things, particularly things of my own, right. that I you know, would wish were better. Can you, can you kind of hone that in on something like Follies? Um, no, I don't think I should. I don't, I don't think I, no, I don't think I should. It will make, make the performers self-conscious. How about they on heard. something that's not like and that? I, but it will, no, it will always make it. Anybody who heard what I had to say, then when they did the show, that would, it, would, it would color their attitude towards what they're doing. So I think I'd rather keep that to myself. I asked you last time about shows that you liked, and you said the problem is anyone I don't mention is going to be yeah. Is that's going to be upset. That's the trouble. That's the trouble. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. As soon as you say something publicly, then you're stuck with it. Speaking of publicly, you did make those comments about the Gershwins, Porgy mm-hmm. and Bess. That was a letter. The, the letter in the New York Times it seemed to me that a great deal of that had to do with the intended ending as well as calling it the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. No, the intended, everybody's made a big deal about the intended ending. That was just one of many, many points I made, the ending. But the whole thing about the fact that it was called the Gershwin's and nobody bothered to mention DuBose Hayward, that, that was a major point I was making. Yeah. That, that's how I opened the letter. And you, you talked a lot about changing the thought processes of people who are no longer around to defend themselves. Well, it's not changing the thought process, it's changing what they created. You're listening to an interview with Stephen Sondheim, whose second volume collection of lyrics is titled Look, I Made a Hat. Stephen Sondheim is the composer and lyricist of such shows as Company, Follies, Sweeney Todd, Roadshow, Passion, Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Pacific Overtures, Merrily We Roll Along, lyricist for West Side Story and Gypsy. How do you feel about creating a new book as they did for Flower Drum Song or even on a clear day? I have no idea of what the Rodden and Hammerstein estate said or the Rodden and Hammerstein company said about Flower Drum Song. A lot of heirs and companies and et cetera, et cetera, are greedy and they will do anything to get the show on on Broadway. That's the Gershwin estate, which is insanely greedy. 
and they would they would license anything if it meant a buck. They licensed United Airlines. Well, that's, and Michael meant, Stronsky was not happy. Well, but some of the some of the family was very happy <laughs> because the family is always at odds with each other. I, you know, I, I have no idea what I think. The Rodgers and Hammerstein office obviously approved because they thought it could be improved. But that's the Rodgers and Hammerstein, you know, that involves people who are connected with the shows. The Gershwin family had nothing to do with the shows. But, you know, I don't know this for a fact, and, and you know, I, I didn't see either Flower Drum song or On a Clear Day, so I don't know whether I would think they were better or not better. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed as if you got about halfway through the movie singing out loud before yeah. it was abandoned. Oh, no, we, got, we, we did a whole draft. We did a whole draft. However, I still had the last song to finish. Um, it was it was it was pretty complete. It was pretty complete. Would you ever consider going back to it and seeing if it could work for the stage? No, it's not. A, it was written for the movies. It was very. It's, in fact, it's written about movie techniques. You couldn't do it on the stage. Would you ever consider going back to it? Oh, sure. If anybody wanted to do it, I finally did see Evening Primrose. If I recall correctly, you gave some directions to the director that you, you had Anthony Perkins. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I told. Tony himself, I should have cleared with the director who might have corrected me. Not some directions, that, that's that the one. It. That's it. That's it, yeah. Talk about that in the book. Have you seen Evening Primrose lately? Sure. I, I like it fine, you know. It was done very quickly. It's a TV show. I think it's fine. What role do you think casting, original casting, plays in your actual writing? None. Or, uh, that's not true. There, there have only been a few examples where somebody was cast while I was writing it or before I wrote it. There was Elaine Stritch in Company, and there was Angela in uh, Sweeney Todd. Certainly those two. Oh, Ethel Merman. Those were the three whom I knew while, either before writing or while writing. Do you have any say in the castings of any of these revivals? At this oh, point? sure. You're protected by the Drama's Guild. If you're a member oh. of the Drama's Guild, you have complete say. All authors have complete approval of casting of any first-class, what they call first-class production. It's a legal term. Have you ever thought about just writing music on your own? No, I did that in my early 20s, but I know I'm only interested in the theater. Because you, you mentioned that you kind of miss it. No, I miss writing music, but I meant writing music for the theater. <laughs> There's a, an interesting point uh, you make about the show Passion, which is that larger-than-life people feel like they need opera, which is something operatic. I think it's probably true of the stage, too, even in plays. I think, you know, people in Streetcar Named Desire are larger than life. I think probably life-size is not a good idea for the stage. The stage itself, I think, demands larger-than-life characters, emotions, and events. Opera merely intensifies that. When you're talking about something like Sunset Boulevard, as an opera that would work. No, that was Billy Wilder said that. You didn't tackle it because... No, because he said it. Because I thought he was right. And he was right. In terms of passion, you he, mentioned you were worried about that maybe it could only be an opera. Was I don't that, remember saying that, um, yeah. but the po point is, it is, it, for all intents and purposes, it is a sort of chamber opera. So it's not a overcoming anything, it's just it feels like a chamber opera more than it does a sort of commercial musical. In terms of these videotaped shows, when I talked to you a year ago, you said it's fine that it's a videotaped show. Yeah. Like, for example? Company. The Rallis Spars a Company. I'd forgotten that the Rallis Spars, that was sold commercially. I totally forgot that. Okay, well, if they're good productions, they're well, you know, I, I do remember uh, Into the Woods, James doing Into the Woods. That was seemed to me... In fact, Sunny in the Park with George seemed to me a good take. Sometimes, you know, again, if they're well-directed by somebody who understands the video um, medium, 
and the show's any good, then they're good. But you don't feel that way about film. Filming a show is quite different. Making a film out of a show is different than videotaping the show. I mean, there's two entirely different purposes. Videotaping a show is recording it, literally making a record of it. Making a movie out of a show is making a whole other work of art. You don't have a proscenium arch and a stage and painted scenery. It's complete suspension of disbelief. You suspend disbelief for a movie in a different way, but you suspend disbelief for a movie just as much as you do in the theater. That's not reality. It was going around that Streisand was going to be in a movie version of Gypsy. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was going to happen until Arthur Lawrence said that he had talked to you and that a definitive version of Gypsy might taint future Gypsy productions. No, I was addressing the fact that he was very anxious to have it made as a movie, and I said, why? Because he, you know, uh, we, we started talking about the aspects of, of how you make the movie out of it. I said, why are you so anxious to have a movie made out of it, Arthur? I said, the whole thing about what keeps the theater alive is that it's done differently, not only by different people, but every night the same show is different. That's what makes theater alive. Movies are set in aspect. Any movie, once it's made, it doesn't change. It is, for all intents and purposes, dead in the sense that it no longer is capable of changing. Whereas theater is an entirely different medium, and its essence is that it is never perfect. In this particular cast album of Follies, there's a lot more dialogue. Mm -hmm. You make comment in an interview with Playbill.com, and it's something that's always been in my mind listening to musicals, that it almost becomes, the cast recording can almost be, in a sense, a radio play. This is actually the first time I think a cast recording has been like a radio musical. Very rarely do cast albums have anywhere near the proportion of dialogue that this one does. So I I think this is the first time that's ever occurred. It really, really feels like a radio musical. There is one other time I know, which was the British, uh, the original British cast album of Man of La Mancha. Goodness gracious, well... But that's the only other time. What I found is that little by little, because there's more time on a CD, people are inserting more and more dialogue. Essentially, what most shows do is insert a lot of dance music, but because most of the shows I do do not have a lot of dance music, that is not true. The producers, they have the money, do what they want, and you're kind of stuck. Did you find that? No. I've never done something just because the producers wanted it, ever. They couldn't change anything without our permission. Now that we've seen these revivals, successful revivals of Night Music and Follies, is there anything about Merrily We Roll Along that might come back? Yeah, we're doing an encore version in February. And see where it goes from there? No, just doing because we want to do it. Yeah, just for encore. <laughs> yeah. How about Anyone Can Whistle? Uh, that was done in encore two years ago. Pacific Overtures was a revival That's already. been done, yeah, that's been done yeah. recently. And in terms of future work, pretty much is this what we have? Is what's in Look, I'm Made a Hat. That takes me up to the present day, yeah. When you're looking for something, which now I would guess you would like to get back into mm-hmm. writing a musical. Yeah, right, sure. When you're looking, what exactly do you look for? Just, uh, just look for something that sings to you. Everybody, you know, that's again personal. Uh, I, I tell the anecdote about uh, how... Uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein were approached with the idea of turning Pygmalion into a musical, and Oscar said, it's not a musical, it takes place in a professor's office, I don't see how it can be a musical, and then Alan Lerner made it into My Fair Lady. So, you know, everybody has a different feeling about what sings to them, and that didn't sing to Oscar, and it sang to Alan J. Lerner. How close are you to having something sing to you now? Oh, I've got three things. Three things? Mm Mm-hmm. 
And you work on them simultaneously? No, we're just, just beginning to talk about them. I haven't started any writing yet. I just finished the book a month ago. And this took up all your time? Oh, yeah. In retrospect, is there anything you think you might have left out of these books that you wish? No, I, no, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think so. I can't think of anything anyway. Okay. No, I said pretty much everything I had to say about what I wanted to say. I guess for a lot of people who are younger, they look at musical theater as kind of a dead form. Part of it, I think you've expressed, which is that it's very difficult to put lyrics into a rock song that you're mm. going to want to listen to. Is there any way to revitalize musical theater? Well, I, I'm not sure. I don't think it's so unvitalized. There are, there are hit shows that young people go to all the time. Sometimes not even hits. A lot of a lot of young people went to Spring Awakening and Next to Normal. A lot of people, young people went to American Idiot. A lot of young people are going to Book of Mormon. And uh, uh, Wicked is entirely supported by teenage girls. I don't think it's so dead to the young people. Do you see a, a kind of difference between the sophisticated audience and the younger audience or the audience from middle America? Or don't I don't know really what sophisticated care? means. Uh, if you're talking about adult audiences, I don't, <laughs> adult doesn't mean sophisticated. I mean, my guess is that the younger people are more sophisticated than the older people. I think you mean people who have seen a lot of musicals. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, the average, average audience for most musicals in New York is ancient, and it's because they're, they're used to going to musical theater. It's habitual. But there's a young audience that goes to the young shows. You see just uh, more continuity there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Like all art forms, it's liquid and goes, and particularly commercial art forms, goes in many directions. It goes through phases. You know, 20 years ago it was all British pop operas. It's not anymore. And for you, because of what you're interested in, you've passed on stuff because it should be rock. Or I think it should be. And rock is not natural to me. It's not a natural language. I would only be imitating. It's easy to imitate, but that's not the same thing as it coming from, from your gut. And um, no, I think they say shoemaker stick to your last. Stephen Sondheim, what I've discovered in reading this book is that you're a good writer, <laughs> as a writer, as a prose writer. Thank you. And you've written plays. Have you ever thought about writing a novel? No, never thought about a novel. I wrote a, I wrote half a novel when I was about 18 years old. No, I'm, 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 prose is not my natural language. And I've never written a play by myself only. I collaborated on a murder mystery. That, that's not playwright. I mean, that's one half a play. I wrote half a play. What is it about collaboration that appeals to you? Oh, I just love the idea of, of working with somebody. It's probably a substitution for family. I was an only child. Maybe that has something to do with that. But also, most I think on a practice, that's on a you know ten cent psychological level. But I like to have somebody to argue with. Just go back and forth. Yep. You said after talking about Roadshow that there were other titles you liked, like Strike It Rich. Yep, I like Strike It Rich a lot. When you're looking at all your career and the titles, is there any title that you look at and you're kind of going, "This is a better one," or? Is that just so far in the past that you don't even give it any thought anymore? I, I, I don't really remember. Most of, the titles, most of the titles are perfectly fine as far as I'm concerned. The original title of West Side Story was Gangway, which is still printed on the back of the, of the flats that occasionally show up in road companies. Um, yeah, I, I, I think generally, titles are very hard to find. I'm not sure that Road Show's the best title, but um, it's, it, that's a hard one. We weren't able to find one, I think, that satisfied all the criteria. It's very hard to find titles. You've been listening to a November 2011 interview with Stephen Sondheim, who celebrated his 90th birthday on March 22, 2020. 
A revival of West Side Story was running on Broadway when the street closed down this week, and a reconfigured revival of Company had been scheduled to open on his birthday. A new film version of West Side Story, with a screenplay by Tony Kushner directed by Steven Spielberg, is currently in post-production and is scheduled to open this coming Christmas. I'm Rich Walensky. For comments about this program, write bookwaves at hotmail.com. And for more information, go to bookwaves.com.